Well, for those that are joining us uh, for the first time, we want to welcome you, but we're also just wrapping up our fall series here on Foundations of the New Testament Church. Uh, so we've gone through this from September till now, and next week we actually start our Advent season. Christmas is right around the corner, and so we're going to do our, our countdown to Christmas through our Advent series. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to just talk through is just the heart behind the series of foundations. That the heart was to re-examine what the mission and the vision of the church is to be. It was to find our purpose of, as an existing church, of what Jesus intended it to be. It was in a way to reorder some of the things that we all know and have heard about throughout our church lives and to challenge the way that we live it out. One of the key themes throughout our entire series and through our cell group series is the sovereignty of God. That within the church, no matter what we do through grace given to us, we fall ultimately in his sovereignty. This is what gives us hope. This is what gives us purpose and in, in what we're doing here together. That God is in, in all that we are and all that we do. That what we do is driven by what God did for us through his son Jesus Christ and reconciled what was made wrong in man's sin. Sins that separate us from our relationship with God, God reconciled through Jesus. Therefore, as a church, we are called to a ministry of reconciliation. So what is reconciliation? It's a big word. Simply put, it's a restoration of relationship. It's a process of two people or groups in a conflict agreeing to make amends to, or to come to a truth. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The gospel is about reconciliation. The church is to do reconciliation. So as we look into this passage more, let us set our hearts to God through prayer as we dive in. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. That you are a God that loves us, that you are a God that cares for us, and that you are a God that sees all and that you are a God that rules sovereignly. So, Father God, as we come before you today, Lord, may you set our hearts towards you. May you send your spirit to come and speak to us. May you send your spirit to move us and to motivate us. So, Father God, we just pray that as we go through your word today, Lord, may it be a fragrance to our lives, but may our worship to you be a fragrance unto you. So Lord, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Jesus through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, the, the, the ministry of reconciliation actually begins with Christ. It begins with Christ reconciling us to him. 
Jesus came to make our broken relationship to God whole. He needed to die a sinless death in order to pay for the sins of man. Because of this one act, God no longer sees us as sinners, but that we are righteous under Jesus' righteousness. The entire story of the Bible points to this, and the history of the world, the present time we live in, and the future of the church also points to this one story of God making what was wrong right again. The ministry of reconciliation first starts with you as an individual. It starts in a place where Jesus looks at you and pours out his love. Jesus restores our relationship back to God. But he also restores us as who he created us to be. You see, a lot of times when we read these passages and when we see this, we talk about the, the, the fact that we are a new creation. We talk about the fact that the old is gone, the new has come, and that as a people, we are now part of God's kingdom, so we are not now no, no longer part of this world, no longer part of this earth, which is true in many sense of those, that description. However, sometimes when we talk about this, we lose sight of the fact that God created us also as individuals. That God created every single one of you in this room in a very specific way. That God created you and gave you your race, gave you your looks, your features, everything that you are, your personality, everything, your, your wants, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your talents, that God imparted every single, single thing into you. But sometimes as the church preaches this message, we feel like we need to completely lose ourselves. But what this pa passage actually is saying is that it's not actually losing yourself, but gaining something else. The new creation that God talks about is actually a new motivation for you. It's not just about completely losing yourself, but it's changing the framework of what motivates you. Before Christ, we are motivated by ourselves. We're motivated by our own desires, our own wants, our own uh, nature in that sense, that sinful nature. But the new creation that God talks about is actually a new motivation that he's giving you. That motivation is actually found if we just go a couple of verses before this in verse 14. It says that Christ's love moves, that his love rules us to the extremes that God love has first and the last word in everything that we do that we are moved by God's love. And that's what this new creation aspect is about. It's understanding that when reconciliation happened, Christ came into our lives. And when we understand who Christ is in our lives, our motivation becomes that of his and not of our own. That's the new creation. But we don't lose ourselves. I want us to understand this because this actually paints a bigger picture of what heaven looks like. A couple of weeks ago, Greg came and talked about, us, talked about what death was when it came, came to the healing ministry, that death was, was the beginning of eternity, that as we die, we don't go into nothing, but that there is something after life, that death is just a new beginning of something else. But when he talked about death, he said that when you die, you take up everything you are in a new body, yes, but what you look like, how you are, your race, all of that, you take that with you into heaven. That heaven is a representation of all his creation. And all of his creation includes 
the cultural context that we were born into. Does that make sense? This new life isn't about losing ourselves. We don't lose a sense of who we are, but we gain the right relationship with God. That our actions are now motivated by God's love and not of our own desires. See, we need to experience who God is, the grace that is in our salvation, the grace that restores us whole, and this includes our personal identity that is reconciling us to himself, that when he reconciles us to himself, he also redeems us. It starts with us, that we are a new creation. It starts with the ministry of reconciliation. This is the work of the church. It is both to be leaders in reconciling personal relationship, but also to be peacemakers. Reconciliation is the work of a peacemaker. He has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation. That is why you are placed in the neighborhood that you are placed in. You are placed in the school that you are placed in. You are placed in the place of employment that you are placed in. All of that is for you to be that peacemaker in that place and begin the work of reconciliation. Today, there's a testimony that I want to share. It is from a dear member of Five Stones that have since moved away over this past summer. She's currently living in the Seabird Island Reservations. And for those that have been here prior to the pandemic, know who Carol Rose is. This is her story and how the Ministry of Reconciliation impacted her life. Okay, so Carol, why don't you tell me a little about uh, your background, your upbringing, um, you growing up uh, Métis, uh, and how that affected your identity? Well, <clears throat> I am I grew up mostly on the prairies in Saskatchewan and Alberta. I'm the oldest out of five kids. Um, there is Métis heritage on both sides of my parents, and my mom's side is Plains Cree from Saskatchewan. And my dad is Black, Blackfoot from Montana. And then I have the European mixed in with it. So I feel like I am more Indian than Métis in some, in some ways because I have Métis on both sides. But we're still considered Métis. And we don't have land rights. Um, we don't own property unless you have bought it and stuff like that. With the church. And so how did you come about the church? What did the church teach you? And then, um, yeah, just go into a little bit of even how God redeemed some of the aspects of the indigenous aspects of the, of the church for you yourself. Okay. Um, when um, I was about seven years old when I went to church, um, seven or eight or something like that, and um, um I think my parents just wanted us out of all five kids out of the house. <laughs> so anyways, um, and then um, I just grew up in whatever. And I never really went to church a whole lot. I did go to teen camp and God used me prophetically during those years. And then when I was an adult, when I decided at 28 years old to get my act together, I uh, was living in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan and I went to the Flying Dust Reserve Church. And at that time, our pastors, being full Indigenous, um, didn't seem to incorporate um, um, any traditional stuff. And it's like, 
yes, they were indigenous. They did wear beadwork and stuff like that. But I just felt like within myself that I didn't know where I sat, you know, in the border of who I am as a Métis and being a Christian. And um, some churches I had went to, it's like, you know, uh, I'm not an Indian. You're not Métis. You are a child of God. And it's like, what? I am Métis. It's like, this is this is who God made me to be. And it's like, okay, and using scripture, they said that God sees us as all as one nation. You know, you know those scriptures I'm talking about that talks about, you know, it's like we're all just children of God and we're all at one, we're all one nation. And um, and so it's like it was really in conflict and I really had struggled right from that point and on. And the thing is, with the church, there was a lot of stuff that like I went through a lot of trauma as a child and as an adult, young adult. And there was no steps of healing. It was just like they prayed for you and that's it. You're healed. You know, carry on. Just move towards God. You know, God will take care of it. Give all your cares to him. You know, he has already dealt with this. But the truth is, is that I needed then somebody to walk with me mm. side by side as a Métis person dealing with the traumas that I had gone through. Um, I never embraced um, wearing um, my beadwork. Um, I didn't embrace jigging. I want, and I did go to powwows because I loved powwows and I went to that powwows all the time. Um, I can't remember how long ago it was, but as I was at a Mother's Day powwow in Vancouver with my daughter and uh, it's in my heart, I don't know, about 20 years before that, let's back up here. The Lord told me when I was at the Native Pentecostal Church and Bible College here, I just came down for a conference for a week, and he told me, I want to redeem your dance. I want you to stop dancing everything. And I knew that was really clear, and considering he knew how I love to do pow how I love to powwow dance. And so I so kind of just left that. So when I was at this powwow, Mother's Day powwow, I'm just like, oh, there's just something stirring inside of me. And I'm like, oh, God, I really want to dance, you know. And, um, and it's like, yes, it's time. But I want you to, I heard the Lord, word of the Lord say, I want you to remember that when you are dancing around the outside, that you are taking territory for me and that you are praying for my people. And it's like, okay. And so I was standing there watching and then my friend came over and says, are you going to finally dance? And I said, yeah, I am. She was just so excited. And um, she's, she's not a believer either um, in regards to the same way others believe. She believes that there is the creator and so do I, we all do. We're remnants, remnants of that. And I said, yes, I'm gonna, I can dance. And she says, okay, she's now remember as a mature woman 
that when you are dancing the peripheral outside she says you are saying prayers for the people and i'm like going oh lord that is like i just i didn't tell her this but inside i've got all these thoughts going it's like oh wow i'm I'm right on track, you know, and just as we were going to go out on the dance floor, they stopped the drums and, and she goes, wait, wait. And it's like, what? And she says, somebody has dropped an eagle feather and it has to be ceremonially picked up. And I just laughed inside myself. And I'm like going, the Lord has always used eagle feathers for my direction through my whole walk. And that was one of the things of my indigenousness that has had always stayed because it was like like a feather of writing history feather that has gone behind and going now and moving forward and so i just waited with her and waited until they did the ceremony and picked up the the eagle feather and i'm just like going one two three those are my confirmations that it's time to dance again and there was such a freedom when we got to dance and i just was like shaking and tremoring inside and basically all i did was pray in the spirit because i didn't have words and i still don't have words when i pray unless I see someone and I have something specific to pray for them. Other than that, I thought was just like the most amazing, you know, it just really grabbed a hold of the deep roots of the full indigenous side that has never left me. Um, I have to say that when I joined YWAM, um, that really opened up the doors of starting to embrace more of my identity because I was in New Zealand and I was around so many nationalities and like the Maori and the Fijians and the Tongans, they all embraced and lived who they are. You know, some people will say, well, those are like demonic dances. It's like, how can they be demonic dances? You know, it's like, but it's like that really started my journey, and I and and um, I have to say that really seriously, it's like it's really dawning on me right now that that really that my why mom experience really started that identity of of embracing. It just just a big click in me right now, and. And, and that's where I'm, I know that that's where I'm still exploring my art. You know, right now you can see around my face, that's a piece of my art that I worked on while I was here doing ink drawings. I needed to embrace who I am. And you know what? I am still learning to embrace who I am. I'm learning more of my culture in regards to being proud of where I had come from, our journeys as people, and the strength of the people. And it helped me under, and it's helping me now to understand why we are so resilient, you know, on why we are so, so strong in regards to how we rise above some things and so where i'm at right now in regards to 
um, my identity and my struggles, I am rising above it. But I'm only rising above it because I've taken a different route. I mean, when it comes to your identity, and you've touched a little bit on this, of not knowing how to be Métis or how to be Indigenous and how to be a Christian, what, what did you have to go through to be able to reconcile your identity as Indigenous and your identity as Christian? <clears throat> I'm actually still working on that. I have to admit it. I am yeah. because um, it has always been squashed. Like I said before, it's like you're not a Métis. You're just a child of God, you know, yeah. and we are one family. We are one nation. And with that, I, you know, it, the struggle was just like, but, you know, look at me, you know, and there are things in my heart that are different and different things that are leading me down another path in regards to wanting to understand more of my Indigenous side and the history of, of my people. And what do, you, what do you feel like is the general perspective from the Indigenous community to the church? You know, that's a really difficult question. And there is no blanket statement. Right. It's going to take a long, long, long time for healing for people. You right. know, there's um, Indigenous people I know who, who love the Lord, who just, no matter what, you know, and even though they have dealt with a lot of that stuff and gone through uh, abuses and then residential schools and day schools and stuff like that, they have, God has allowed them and helped them walk through those things to heal so they can be of a better uh, service in regards to helping others. But everybody's journey is completely different. And our reactions and responses to everything we go through is different. Mm -hmm. So again, that is a very hard blanket statement. It's a very individual thing. Right. And I hear out there, I hear more anger and hurt and betrayal about the First Nations being genocide more than anything. You know, and, and I understand that because when I started to go to church, they were trying to wipe out the Indian in me. Right. Sure. So, I mean, when right now, one of the big things uh, here in Canada is just talking about the residential schooling uh, and the, the, I guess it's not a new problem, but it's, it's, the awareness is now high and the awareness is, is, is up right now. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about reconciliation. But before we even go into that, what was your perspective on residential schoolings growing up? And and knowing what we're going through right now, what has been, like what's been brought to light right now, what has changed and how has that changed you? Like, so what was your perspective on residential schooling as a kid? And then now, how do you see things now? Well, when I was growing up, I always wanted to go away to school because I just didn't like being the oldest and doing everything at home. And I thought it would be, oh, they'd be interesting and fun. Why can't I just go to the day school or the residential school, you know, stuff like that. And my mom and dad said, no, no way, you know. So 
I just grew up in the city going to the city schools. And um, I didn't fit in because I wasn't completely First Nation and I wasn't completely white. So I sat on the border of both of those. And, um, and now looking back and living where I'm at in this time of my life at 63, I am very thankful that my parents didn't send me. Um, I have met a lot of people who are, have come from the residential schools and I am really thankful I didn't get to go and it's, and I, it's, it's a horrendous tragedy what has happened. I mean, we all know that, but just it's unfathomable. And I think that's what is going to have, ha what is going to happen is that a lot of people are not going to be able to completely understand it. And you know what? I don't know if people ever will. That's my take on it. Because unless you've lived in it, like my friend Harriet, you can't really understand it because it's unfathomable what has ha what happened to them, those survivors that are still alive, you know? Right. So I, I believe that everything that we go through, if we learn to embrace where we're at and change the things that need to be changed, it all serves a purpose somewhere because there's many things about what God took me through in healing that I've been able to um, pray for other um, women in regards to that. And um, so my healing journey has been my, I guess my whole life since 87 has been a choice to be able to use my journey and a chance and opportunity to speak it out and help others. That's so good, Carol. Well, I'm so glad that you're able to jump on this call with me. Um, me too. want to be able to share your story uh, with the church, uh, but also really just begin that journey for the church of what does it mean to, to reconcile? And what does it mean? Um, because we live in Canada, this is our home to start here in our home. Yeah. And the big thing right now, uh, as we all know, um, is the reconciliation with the Indigenous community of Canada. And so I believe the church has a huge role to play uh, in this regards. Um, and I believe that um, stories like yours will help uh, the church understand more of how do we begin that process of reconciliation? How do we begin the, the conversations mm -hmm. of what we need to make right mm -hmm. um, and even as simple as that language of oh we're all one nation under the kingdom of god but by saying that we completely take away um all the the di diversity of cultures that god also created with alongside all of it yeah yeah and so um yeah i i do believe that this is the beginning in uh, of our journey uh, as a mm -hmm. church to really bring uh, what reconciliation can look like because Jesus is about the ministry of reconciliation. He mm -hmm. is a reconcile us to God. Uh, yeah. And without that, um, we wouldn't be where we are today. And so recon yeah. reconciliation is deep within the church uh, mm -hmm. and 
it is what is necessary for the church. Yeah, yeah. If anything, what comes to my mind and my heart right now is be a friend to be a friend. Mm. Don't be a friend thinking that you're going to change someone, but That's be good. a friend. Be a friend to be a friend. That's so good. That has helped my journey. I have had so many awesome people, and I still have them in my life. Some of them are gone up there, but they were and are my friend to be my friend. And that's how you impact people. It's out of relationship. That's good. So be a friend to be a friend. Don't have any other motives behind it. Really, be a friend to be a friend. That's beautiful. That's a great way for us to end our interview today. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for you being able My to pleasure. share your story. Um, I'm so... I'm sad that you're not here with us. I'm sad that you're not uh, in person with us at, at the church, but um, we we wish you the best. We know that you're mm -hmm. still part of the community online um, and uh, we continue to pray with you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're still part of uh, our community and, and part of our mm -hmm. church here at Five Stones as well. So thank, thank you, Carol. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Um, but yeah, that was really just 20 minutes of what I could cut for the best of the interview. And I really wanted Carol to be able to share her heart, and I love how she ended, be a friend to be a friend. Reconciliation is about right relationship. It's about coming and, and making relationships right again. We all have broken relationships. We all understand the hurt, the pain, and, 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 and the things that we carry with, with a broken relationship. But we're called into a ministry of reconciliation. We're called to make things right because Jesus first made things right with us. Carol's story just helps us begin to understand that the, in this country that we live in, that there is a huge, huge job ahead of us as a church to reconcile with the indigenous community of Canada. That there has been so many wrongs that have been done to these people and yet they've been silent for so many years. I believe that there are so many things that are happening right now and that throughout the pandemic there are so many things that were brought up because God wants these things to be brought up. God wants justice to happen. You see, the justice of God, God always he loves justice. He loves justice and he loves giving out justice, but his mercy and grace holds him back a little bit. Because if the justice of God came, we wouldn't exist. And so all of these things that are bubbling up throughout these past two years, first in the States and now in Canada, the indigenous issues of Canada are way more apparent here. We looked at even the floods in Abbotsford. Yes, there are a lot of devastation. There's a lot of things that's happened. There's a lot of displaced people, and we have to pray and help them, and we want to carry out those things. But if you listen to the indigenous voice in ab about this flood, it's a very different story. 
that Abbotsford used to be a lake. Only up until 100 years ago, Abbotsford was a lake. It was Lake Sumas. The Sumas Plains that they talk about was actually a lake, a lake that the Sumas nation actually fished off of. As the Sumas, there was, the Sumas chief was talking in the news, and he, he said that the lake was our grocery stores. And then it was taken away from us, and we were moved up to the reservations. And even when they were moved up to the reservations, they said, what the Sumas people actually said was, let us build our, res our homes on higher ground because the lake will come back. I don't know what this means, but in so many ways, I feel like God is bringing justice for his people, that God loves the indigenous communities of Canada, and he's saying that these people have hurt for far too long. Reconciliation begins with Jesus, but it has to start at somewhere. We might ask, well, what is my responsibility in all of this? I didn't do any of it. Well, let's start here. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve expressed their free will to disobey, sin marked all of humanity. The point here is that the Bible believes in corporate sin. Because of the decision of two people, we all now face the consequence of death. Can we agree on that? That corporately, that when sin happens, that everybody deals with it. Can we agree with that? that? Whether you agree with that, we have to accept that this is a part of our reality, that death is part of what we call life. What has happened in the garden, humanity bears the consequence of it. So therefore, it is needed to be made right. A broken relationship made right again is the narrative of the Bible. We heard in Carol's story that how the indigenous community relates to the church and because of so many things that the church has done through the residential schools have left a scar on this community. It is the church's responsibility to bring reconciliation to the community. We say, well, our church didn't do it. Of course, five stones didn't do it. You haven't done it. I haven't done it. But one thing that the Bible knows and even most of the world knows that Western culture doesn't know, is that we are a product of our community. In our cell groups, we're studying the book of Daniel, and in Daniel chapter 9, we, most of us haven't gone there yet, but Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, is confessing the sins of his forebears. He's repenting for them. You see, Daniel was born actually around the time of exile, so he wasn't actually part of the people who sinned against God that led to the ex exile. Yet, Daniel was confessing the sins of his people. We actually see this also in Joshua chapter 7, in which a family or a tribe is punished for one person's sin. Why, why, did, why do we need to look at what has been in the past to dictate what we do here presently? Because God knows that what you are, for good or for bad, is that you are a product of your community. So, for example, if you are bad, your community does bear some responsibility for it because the community that you're part of is the kind of place that you could actually do these acts. You see, our problem here in our lack of understanding is our Western view of individualism that is so steeped into 
our church culture, that our worldviews and our perspective of who we are and what we do is only shaped with what we interact with personally and come in contact with. That if we, even if we were exposed to maybe a different lifestyle, that it doesn't really affect our immediate way of thinking. That we can oftentimes overlook and pay no attention to it because it isn't in our self-interest. This is the Western culture way of thinking, and in many ways, it is how the current church behaves because the church perspective is also defined by the people that are part of it. So in many ways, inv that individualistic thinking has steeped into the church. So as part of the church, we are involved in injustice, even if you didn't actually do it. You have the responsibility to be shaped by the Bible instead of individualism. We have to recognize that you're part of a history and you can't escape this history. You can't just say, well, I wasn't part of it. But as Christians, we're part of a history that has done something like this. It's not just in Canada. If you look at the history of the church, genocide was actually very common within the church. You look at the, in the 1500s of the Crusades that were happening, that was pure genocide. They were killing in the name of the Lord to conquer, to conquer land. This isn't something that is new for the church. This is something that existed since the institutionalization of the church in 300 A.D. So what we do here as a church matters. What we do here as a church, God has a very specific ministry that we're called to, and it's that ministry of reconciliation. You can't just say, I wasn't part of it. Because as a Christian, we have a great resource and great motivation, born in grace, of what reconciliation actually looks like. Because of that, we have an obligation. Well, you may say, well, how long do I have to do it? Can't we just move on to the good part? Well, that's not up to you to decide. Your job is to be a reconciler. Your job is to be a peacemaker. As a church, we do many things well. We talk about our success. We talk about our power, our victories. But the church doesn't like to talk about shame and guilt. We don't own up to our mistake. And the absence of not talking about shame is what leads us to move, want to move on and not want to see the issues. If you see two people who love each other for 50 years and you ask them what their secret is, they'll tell you that they've learned to say, I'm sorry. They've learned to navigate through the shame and guilt. If you wronged, your wife, as a husband, I'm, telling, I'm speaking up as a husband, if you've wronged your wife and you tell your wife to just get over it, you'll either be, ending, you'll either be sleeping on the couch or divorce papers are going to be served. If you wronged your wife, it's your job collectively to reconcile what was made wrong. I'm not saying that both parties need to be in agreement, but both parties need to come into a full understanding. So sometimes... That takes a lot of time. It's not up to the church to say, let's move on and, and, and get on with it. To be a friend, to be, be a friend to be a friend means to come to a place of understanding. We want to move on too quickly, and in that way, we either bring more hurt into it or we make it worse by blowing it by so fast that it just becomes another check mark on our to-do list. You see, Jesus came to serve. And what we are to do is that same thing. 
The church is to be a leader in this area, and, and the power of the church is to serve in bringing truth and reconciliation. We don't own anything for their injustice. We just have to repair their distrust. Not to be bitter or cynical about talking about it, but creating a new relationship about it. So what does it look like in the church? Well, that's up to us to define it. Christ's name is not going to be famous if we're not in the forefront of reconciliation. Christ's name is not going to be seen if we're not in the forefront of reconciliation because Jesus established what reconciliation looks like. Sometimes we think about this and we think, well, that's just a lot of work. We look at it and we're just like, that's just, I just don't have time for it. Think about it this way. When Jesus came to die for you, when Jesus came to do his ministry, when Jesus came to do all of that, to forgive you of your sins, to bring you to a place of right relationship with God. And we all carry our baggage. We all carry pains and hurts. We all carry sins. We all carry shame. We all carry guilt. What if Jesus says, I just don't have time for that right now. I just... I just want to move on. Can we just move on? Can we just move past it? Jesus sits with you in your pain. That's part of reconciliation. And we are to sit with others in their pain because we're in the ministry of reconciliation. When we understand that of what Jesus did on the cross for us to reconcile us, we begin a relationship with others where we lead people to that same place. But to lead people to that pl same place, we have to help them experience what that looks like. And sometimes to help them experience what that looks like is helping them navigate through the pain that, they, that, that they're buried in. Helping them go through the emotions of, of, of the hurt that the church has done. This extends actually outside beyond the indigenous community too. I see a lot of young people in the church that are in this place where they are deconstructing their faith. And I think deconstruction is not, a, I don't think it's a bad thing. And oftentimes we, 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 we hear those words and we think, well, oh no, this is, this is going to a bad place. But deconstruction happens because of pain. Deconstruction happens because of experiences, uh, of negative experiences within the church. So what we are to do as a church is we actually need to sit with them in that pain. Sit with them, hear them out, be a friend to be a friend. And in those moments to speak truth into these places. To speak God's word into these places. Help them understand God's spirit, God's heart, God's will, God's vision for their lives, God's purpose in their lives. Help, help them understand what the motivations are that motivates them to, to come back to the heart of God. Reconciliation is bringing people back to the heart of God. It's God saying, I love you so much that I've sent my son to die for you. That's what this ministry is about. You want to see a revival in Canada? Do we want to see that? Then we need to do this first. You want to see a revival in Canada? This ministry of reconciliation with the indigenous people of Canada needs to happen first. Why? Because God cares and loves for this community. God cares and loves for this community so much that even in my devotions this morning as I was reading, 
Isaiah 61 is God's favor on the nation of Israel. And if you read through this, this passage of all the injustice that was done to Israel and God saying, I'm going to take all of that and lift you up again. I'm actually going to go there because um, I feel like it's important. Isaiah 61 is, talks about the year of the Lord's favor. If you have your Bibles, turn there. But in verse 8, this spoke to me so much. It says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. And I will faithfully give them their recompense. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. That was God speaking to his people. But that his people are also the indigenous community of Canada. And God has a heart for them. God has a huge heart for them. And this, this people group is suffering because of all the injustice that's been done to them. That we have put them into reservations. We have put them into all these places. Have, it, have any of you guys ever been to a reservation? Have you ever gone to their grocery stores before? Their things are so expensive to buy. I remember going to a reservation. A jug of milk cost $13. Why? Why do they not get the same prices? I don't know. But I believe God is speaking and saying that revival is going to come. My spirit will fall. My spirit actually already falls on this nation, on this church, on this place. However, we need to set a stage where our hearts are willing and our hearts are there and our heart is in a place of repentance to turn back to God. And that includes to reconcile broken relationships. And so church, today I want you guys to think about what is your role in reconciliation. Is it personal? Is it corporate? Is it both? I believe it's both. I believe that the church is called to both recognize our reconciliation with God and broken relationships within our own sphere of influence. I believe God is challenging us, a lot of us here, to make wrong relationships right in our own personal lives. But then also we have to look at the nation that we live in and what is the number one thing that God wants us to do right now. You call yourself Canadian, this is part of the ministry that you have to be a part of. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that you love your people first and foremost. That you love your people so much that you have sent your son, to die for every single one of us here. Lord, this beginning, the reconciliation of us to you, drawing our hearts back to who you are, drawing us to become inheritors of your kingdom and to live in your kingdom. But Father God, you've also called us into the ministry of reconciliation to make right relationship with others and to be peacemakers in this world. So Father God, you, I pray that you continue to challenge your people with this that this is the ministry of the church, this is what the church is called to do, and that this is the impact that we can leave in this nation. So Father God, challenge us to be leaders in this, in this ministry. Challenge us and speak to us. Give us wisdom and discernment in all that we're doing. But Father God, I just ask for you to, to send your spirit to touch the lives of our indigenous community. And Lord, may we... Be your mouthpiece to speak truth as you touch each and every single one of them. So, Lord, we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, listening to Pastor John this morning, were it not for the gospel of hope, it could be easy to be overwhelmed by grief.
and by all the things that we as the church have done wrong. But, you know, there's a powerful picture that's given to us in the gospel of Jesus planting his ministry in the region of Galilee. Now, we hear that often, that Jesus was the man from Galilee, but he was specifically led to the region of Galilee prophetically by the prophet Isaiah. And Galilee is significant and strategic because it was the tribes of Nebula, uh, of Zebulun and Naphtali. And they were the most trampled tribes of all the tribes in Israel. God specifically went to the people group that was the most hurting. That's where his heart is. He will always go to the most hurting. And so there is a spirit of reconciliation, a spirit of compassion and understanding that God wants us to carry as we are seeing what's happening with the indigenous people with the residential schools, and a whole history of things that are still being unpacked. But you know like how water goes to the lowest point? The grace of God and the mercy of God always goes to the lowest point. It always goes to the place where people are in the lowest spot. He wants to touch them. He wants to heal them. He wants to reconcile them. And that includes the indigenous people. My first discipleship camp when I was 16 years old, I went to a First Nations discipleship camp. That was my first spiritual formation experience. One of my best friends in college was from the Cree tribe in the United States. He ended up going to Harvard. When I was in graduate school, I lived half a block, I mean half a mile away from a reservation that was right in the city. And to see the plight that they go through is difficult, and we have to carry that peace in our hearts and that spirit of reconciliation that Pastor John was talking about. And so when we talk about revival, when we talk about having ministry time, it's opening up ourselves to say, God, come and touch me at my weakest point. Come and heal me. Come and touch me in a way that maybe I'm not open to you, but as I see who you are, as we've heard through this series, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, how he is the word incarnate, our eyes are open to his character and that he is safe. We can come to him and, and be safe. That's why the indigenous people are so suspicious because they've not felt safe. But we need to turn that whole spirit around, that whole narrative around. Last week during our ministry time, I specifically called out for those people that have been in chronic conditions. You've been battling and battling and battling, and you haven't seen a breakthrough. And I, I want to call out today in our last Sunday in this ministry format those who are going through the most difficult situations where you need a jailbreak. I'm thinking about John chapter 5 where Jesus is walking by the pool of Bethesda, and it says there lay a multitude of those who were sick and blind and hurting. And there was one guy there who had been there for 38 years. 38 years, his whole life. Is there anyone here in the courtyard that has been around these pools longer than 38 years? Jesus went right to the person that was hurting the most. Healed them. I'm thinking about Luke chapter 8 where Jesus goes into the region of the Gerasenes, and there's a demoniac there, and he's casting out the demons, and he's asking, identify yourself, devil, who are you? 
And the devil says, legion. Now, in the Roman military nomenclature, a legion of soldiers referred to 6,000 people. Is it possible that there were 6,000 demons in this person? That's almost beyond mental comprehension. I don't know if it was literal thousands of demons, but we know there were many, many, many. And that also tells you the capacity of the human soul. We are created in the image of God. The emotions, the feelings, the creativity, the things that we have is so expansive that even evil personalities would try to come in and occupy those places. We know it wasn't one or eight or even a dozen because when Jesus commanded those legions to go out, they went into a herd of many, many swine, hundreds. And Jesus specifically picked out that demoniac, the person in the lowest of the low, to deliver him. Or in the chapter just before that, Jesus is going into this small town called Nain. And there's a funeral procession. And a mom is grieving the death of her son. Not a baby son, a grown man. And she's a widow. She is now destitute. She has no support. She has no financial means. Jesus stops the funeral procession and raises the man from the dead. Maybe you're in a situation where you need a resurrection. You need to be broken out of your darkness. You're in a situation that has been so dead that people have been singing the dirge with you. And I want to call this morning for the most difficult situations that you are in, whether it's chronically, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually. If you're upstairs, I want you to come downstairs to our red carpet. Our elders will be here. Our ministry team will be here. But I also want one of our members to share a wonderful testimony, a notable healing that's taking place. And she got prayed for last Sunday at our red carpet. And if Allison, you could just come on up and share what the Lord has been doing. For over the last year, I wake up anywhere from 3.30 in the morning, incredible pain in my legs. Um, I know you're going to find it hard to believe, but I injured my right leg very badly in a skydiving accident many years ago. I know, picture it. Um, I tore a bunch of ligaments and muscles. I broke my left knee, ATVing, again, picture it. Um, it was 10 hours from the nearest hospital. I was told I wouldn't be able to, I'd have to have a knee replacement in 10 years, and that was in 2001, I think. So I've really gotten a lot of time out of that. And then I broke my leg again, slipping on the ice a couple of years ago. So it's come back to haunt me at this age. I'm not getting any younger. Um, and this morning I woke up in pain again. But for the last six days, I didn't. I didn't wake up in any pain at all. And I kind of didn't believe it. I just thought, that can't be right. And I would like, no, my ankle's going okay. And my calf is fine. And my knee doesn't hurt. And my hips, this can't be right. But it was right. And so for six days, I just was so encouraged that the Lord was doing something in me. And even if he chooses not to heal me fully in this life, it was a glimpse of what's coming, that one day I will be whole. So thank you for your prayers. I believe one little anecdote that maybe Allison left out was that she felt so pain-free, she actually tried to do some jazzercise or exercise. <laughs> on Wednesday, which was absolutely fantastic, but paid for it just because 
hasn't been given to a, a regular exercise routine. But I think that's a, a picture of how God wants to come and, and touch our most deep, chronic situations. I want you to be bold before the Lord. I want you to say, God, I'm coming to the throne of grace, and we're supposed to come boldly. And so I said to the prayer team on Thursday night during our meeting, I said, I'm going to discriminate against the little things today. If you have little things, don't come up for prayer. Only come up if you have big things. Of course, I say that in jest. God cares about all the little things. But I want you to come up with the most difficult things, and let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We've covered a lot of territory. We've covered a lot of deep and broad and serious subjects. But the thing that comes through it all is your heart, your heart for people. You care. You care for the indigenous people. Why do we have grace to call upon? Because you care for us. Why do we have mercy to call upon? Because you love us. Why you've given us the word so that we can be set free. Lord, you want to restore us to our original condition. And so we're prevailing and we're availing ourselves to you, Spirit of God, to come into your house and to release your power in a fresh way. Let your kindness, let your compassion, let your power flow right now. And if you've been battling something, you've been in a long-standing, difficult situation, I just invite you to come to the ministry area over here to receive prayer. Even if it's just for one of the prayer team to agree with you for a jailbreak. This phrase just kept coming to this morning. Some of us need a jailbreak. We've been imprisoned. We've actually gotten used to our jail cell. But God says no more. That's not your place. That's not your house. The darkness and the heaviness, that's not your portion. It might be something relational. It might be something that you can barely articulate because it's so painful. Then just come and let there be a, a silence, but a silence of the Holy Spirit that stands with you. Physical conditions. There's some of you that have been dealing with some internal organ issues. I think it's related to stomach, related to even some um, digestive or bowel things, and it's just been with you for a long time. Lord wants to touch you this morning. There's some of you that it's been like uh, an itchiness on your scalp, and you've tried medications, and you've tried to figure out how to get rid of it, and no one really sees it, but it's, it's just such a frustrating thing that you've had. God wants to heal your scalp. There are some people that have problems in their knuckles. It's like an arthritis, and you don't have full movement in your hands. God wants to free it, he wants to free just the, the impairment in your knuckles. Just come and receive a touch from the Lord. There are some of you that have been dealing with nutrition problems. There are certain foods that you can't eat. There are certain foods that you've longed to enjoy, but you haven't been able to. God wants to heal those systems. I believe there's some autoimmune things in, in this picture here. and God wants to heal you from those autoimmune diseases. 
There's some people here that have gone through cycles of near bankruptcy. You've come so close to the precipice of financial ruin and then backed off from it and then got close to it and then backed off from it. God wants to break that cycle of financial ruin, financial disaster, even a, a, a spirit that would come against just the provision of God. Just come and receive from the Lord. I hear the Lord saying that there's at least one or maybe two of you, you are the key to someone's salvation and you've been feeling the tap of God on your shoulder that you need to go and say something to this person, but you've just been fearful, you've been hesitant, but God says you are the key to that person and you're going to go in his power and his strength, but you just need a little dose of courage. Just come and receive that prayer that that little dose would come to you so that you can step into being that reconciler, being that one that will speak salvation and usher someone into the kingdom. There are some of you right now that are experiencing a, a, an increased level of heat in your hands. That's a, a sign that God wants to use you in healing. He wants to use you in healing. And if you're feeling that right now, just quickly raise up your hands for a moment. I want to pray that God would use you. If you've been feeling a heat in your hands, God wants to use you. I have a picture of a broken necklace. I believe it represents a broken heart. It's something that you've treasured, and it's just been snapped and broken. God wants to heal that, that broken heart. That, that broche, that, just that sense that your hope was in it, but the necklace has been broken. I've allowed the Lord to just come and go into the, the deep crevices of your heart to touch and to heal and to give you fresh hope. As I was standing up here, I just had a sense that some of you have been eating dry bread, that the Word of God has just felt like dry, crumbly bread in your mouth. And there's just not the moisture. There's not the tastiness of it. There's not just the excitement to enjoy fresh, hot bread. The Bible says that in the temple, Holy of Holies, the priests were commanded to bring 12 loaves of hot bread. That's the provision that God has for us every single day. And if you feel like that the word of God has been dry, if you feel like it's just crumbly in your mouth, then I would encourage you actually to come up and get some prayer and just say, Lord, turn this dry bread into piping hot stuff that I can't wait to eat every single day. And if you're a little shy, you're a little timid, okay, just stay in your seats, raise your hand to the Lord and ask him to do it. But I encourage you to go over here and receive just a fresh touch to break through that dryness. Father, we conclude our series on foundations with the name of Jesus. You're the Alpha, the Omega. You're the beginning, the end. It all begins with you and it all ends with you. Lord, we ask for that fire to come. We ask for the life to come. We ask, God, all these messages that we've heard, God, to be fallen on good soil. Lord, that they would flourish, that they would grow in our hearts and minds. We break, Father God, the, just the desert experience that the church has been going through and all the priorities that you've put on our heart, God, let us put feet to them, things that we've been quickened to, God, over these last few weeks. 
Let them come alive. And we give you praise and honor. Let your favor, let your face shine upon your people. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.